Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Esau wanted to be heir, but in his life, he sold his birthright, his heirship position. And he wanted the blessing. Esau wanted the blessing. He had a desire. He had a desire, but he didn't have a, he didn't have a heart, and he didn't have a life that showed God that he was suitable. And Esau did not come to God for mercy. Esau came to his father with a meal, and he did not receive the blessing. Why? Because of what God said in Romans 9.16. So then, it's not of him that willeth, he had a will, nor of him that runneth, he was running, but of God that showeth mercy. And as we look at Esau relying on all that he did to make that meet, we see Esau thinking, I'm going to become the heir because of what I do. And we see in Esau a picture of a person relying on his own good works to get to heaven And not a person. We don't see Esau as a person as falling in repentance and begging God to have mercy on him as a lost sinner. We see in Esau a person who's thinking that I'm going to heaven because of what I do. Now, after hearing Isaac say at the end of verse 37, what shall I do unto thee, my son? Esau has a response, and that's in verse 38. And Esau said unto his father, hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. So first we see that Esau, he doesn't humble himself in submission to the fact that God has chosen Jacob and made him my Lord. He doesn't do that. Instead, what we see in the verses 36 and 38 is Esau saying to his father in verse 36, hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And in verse 38, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me even, bless me even also, uh, oh, my father. See, instead of Esau seeing that he has lost his position because of his own sinful choices, instead of accepting that as a judgment from God, he argues. Esau is arguing with his father, and he takes the position, I'm right, and Isaac and Jacob, they're to blame. Esau is saying to his father in verse 36, he's saying to his father, you are to blame because you did not reserve a blessing for me. This is ridiculous. (laughs) This is almost borders on insanity because Isaac thought he was blessing Esau, but then Esau says, you didn't reserve a blessing for me. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. In Esau's reality, he's right. That's the first thing. And whoever else has to be wrong is wrong. And Isaac is wrong because he didn't reserve a blessing for him. So he's saying to his father in verse 38, his father also is to blame because he only has one blessing. And Esau is saying to his father in verse 38, his father is to blame because he will not bless him. See, Esau's blaming his father. He's blaming Isaac. In verse 36, Esau has already blamed Jacob when he said, he took away my birthright. And we already talked about that. That was insane too. He didn't take away his birthright. He sold it to him. 
But that's not Esau's reality. Esau's reality now is he took it away. And behold, now it's taken away my blessing. See, Esau will not see that he is to blame. Will, Esau does not see that he's to blame at all. All the blame is on others in Esau's world. Esau can see that Jacob and Isaac are to blame, but Esau does not see any blame on himself. That's a picture of a person who will not come to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior for salvation. Show me a person who will not receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, and I'll show you a person who blames others for what has happened in his life. And and I'll show you a person who does not put any blame on himself for what's happened in his life. That's why the first point in the sinner's prayer for salvation is, oh God, I'm a sinner. That's a beginning point. And what a person means when they say that determines if they're really receiving the Lord Jesus as the Savior. See, when a person says, I'm a sinner, and does he mean, well, I'm a sinner, meaning I'm not perfect, therefore I'm a sinner. Or, you know, I'm a sinner because the neighbor's dog barked all last night and I couldn't sleep and therefore I forgot to take the trash out. So I'm a sinner. Or when a person saying, I'm a sinner, does he mean I alone am to blame? Just me. My heart is dirty because I alone chose to immerse myself in moral filth. My mouth is dirty because I alone chose words that I regret having said. My actions are sinful because I alone chose to sin. And no one's to blame but me alone. I deserve hell. I'm throwing myself on the mercy of God. That's the correct meaning of I'm a sinner. And this is not what we see Esau doing. What we see Esau doing here is blaming Jacob, he's blaming Isaac, and there's no hint at all he blames himself for anything. And now, in verse 38, he says, hast thou but one blessing? I mean, this is an interesting question. He says, hast thou but one blessing? He's asking a question to his father. Is that all you got is one blessing? See, with that question, Esau is saying, he doesn't accept that there's only one blessing. He doesn't accept that Isaac only has one blessing. See, with that question, Esau is thinking, well, Isaac, he, he can just pull blessings out of his hat whenever he wants to. Yeah, a blessing. Oh, here's a blessing for you. Oh, sure, yeah, let me get another one. Oh, no, and God has nothing to do with it. With that question, has thou but one blessing, Esau is saying, oh, come on, Father. I mean, just enough with this one blessing stuff. You can make up a blessing when you want, whenever you want to. We know that's all this blessing stuff. I mean, what is it? You know, you, you, you just choose, and you, and you just choose, and, and that just goes along with being the heir of your estate. So just make up another one. Give me one. Stop with all the one, only one blessing stuff. See, what Esau is saying in that question, what it shows us, he has no respect for the singularity of God's blessing. He, had, he doesn't respect that. He thinks Isaac can just pull these out of his hat. And now he's blaming his father for not doing that for Esau. See, he's not respecting God's only way. Who else didn't respect God's only way? Who was the first person who didn't respect God's only way in Genesis? You just said it. Yeah, Cain, 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 exactly. Because it says in Genesis 4, 3 through 5, it speaks about how Cain didn't respect. In the process of time, 
it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel, to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. See, here's two brothers, Cain and Abel. They had the same parents. I mean, if they had wanted to try to blame, you know, I'm this way because of my grandparents, (laughs) there were no grandparents. (laughs) They had the same heredity. I mean, both of them knew they had to bring a sacrifice to God. And both of them brought a sacrifice. How'd they know? How'd they know that they had to bring a sacrifice to God? God showed them. And he also showed them they needed to bring a certain sacrifice, which was a blood sacrifice. And Abel brought that blood sacrifice to God. But Cain decided that that's too restrictive. Enough with all this one type of sacrifice stuff. Enough with all this only a blood sacrifice So he decides to bring a a fruit sacrifice. He kind of pushes the envelope a little bit. I'll bring a fruit sacrifice. I'm sure he brought beautiful fruit. I'm sure he would have won an award at a fair in that fruit. It was beautiful fruit, and he brought it to God. But there was only one problem, and that was the singularity of God's requirement, just blood, only blood, nothing else other than blood. But Cain didn't accept that. So he brings a fruit offering in the place of blood. And then it says in Genesis 4, 4, the Lord had respect unto Abel, to his offering, but, Genesis 4, 5, but unto Cain and his offering, he had no respect. Why not? Because Cain did not bring the only offering that God required, which was a blood offering. You know, there's a lot of people today, and I talk to them, I talk to them, Jewish people, who deny that God has only one requirement for acceptance. And they go on with me, and I know what they're going to say before they say it. I've almost like read their counter-missionary manual (laughs) because of what they say. Oh, well, you know, this one brought them flour, and that was accepted, and this one, et cetera. And when they do that, and as they drive that point, well, prayers and good works, all of those things, that's, you know, that's good enough also scripturally speaking. And as they do that, of course, this is a war against the blood because this is a war against the God-only requirement for acceptance, which is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those people are lining up with Cain. And the Bible speaks about the lineup of Cain in Jude 1.11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. What's the way of Cain? The way of Cain is to deny that there's only one way to come to God, which is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's like Cain who brought the fruit instead of the blood. That's like Esau who says, hast thou but one blessing? God directs us, come to him through the blood of the Lord Jesus. And it says that it starts off in Romans 3, very familiar verse, 323, for all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God, then it goes on, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. See, that's God's singular way to be accepted. 
faith in his blood. And that's why the Lord Jesus said in John 14, 6, that he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, singularity. And no man cometh unto the Father by me, one way. And Cain did not respect God's only way for acceptance through the blood. And Esau did not have respect for God's singular blessing. See, it's all about respecting God's way, God's way of salvation. David emphasized the importance of respecting this. He said in Psalm 119.6, Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. In Psalm 119.15, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. In Psalm 119.117, Hold thou me up, and I shall be safe, and I shall have respect unto thy statutes continually. So when Esau says, you know, hast thou but one blessing, he doesn't have respect. And then he goes on to say in verse 38, bless me, even me also, O my father. It's clear that Esau does not see God as the ultimate decider. Esau only sees his father as the ultimate decider. That's like Balak, the king of Moab, who had hired Balaam to curse Israel. Balak only saw Balaam in Numbers 23, 11, and 12. Balak said unto Balaam, what hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse mine enemies. Behold, thou hast blessed them altogether. He doesn't understand. But Balaam answers in verse 12. He answered and said unto him, Must I not take heed, or respect, to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? And now Esau, the intensity of his grief is so great. And it shows that, you know, when he finds he doesn't get the blessing, he just, he really hits rock bottom. And it shows Esau's only living for the present. And when the present goes sour, the ground gives way underneath him. And when the present is lost, when the present is lost for Esau, the blessing, everything's lost for Esau. He has no hope other than the present. Esau has no concept of Psalm 17. And the last verse in Psalm 17 says, in verse Psalm 17, 15, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness, I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. See, that verse speaks of the Christian's hope because it's in the future. I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. See, in this life, we have many disappointments. That was a disappointment for Esau. Esau, welcome to the club. We also have many, many disappointments. We have many frustrations. And ultimately, we're not satisfied in this life. But there's one word that describes the Christian who dies in Psalm 17, 15. He awakes satisfied. When he sees it, I'm like Christ. He's satisfied. It's as it says in 1 John 3, 2. Behold, now are we the sons of God. Doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. See, we shall be like him. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Jane Knapp, she grew up in a Christian home. And one Sunday, when she was only five years old and it was a Sunday morning and the family was, was scurrying around getting ready to go to church, she comes up to the side of her father in the midst of everybody trying to get ready. And she says, Daddy, she says, Daddy, I want to take Jesus into my heart. And Mr. Knapp wrote about it. And he says he knelt down with his little daughter, and he prayed with her. 
And he noted she was very quiet during this. She just asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into her life and be her Savior. And then her father wrote that when she got up on her feet, there was a great joy in her and him as well. And so from that point on, her faith in Christ just kept growing continuously. Her enthusiasm for the Lord Jesus just kept getting stronger and stronger. And what grew in her heart was a strong desire to serve God on the foreign mission field. And as her desire grew to serve God, she focused on Paul's words where he gave his explanation of why he is involved in preaching the gospel and what happened to him. And it's all found and it's wrapped up in three verses in Romans 1 as Paul is explaining. He's explaining what happened. And the more that Jane's desire got to serve in the mission field, the more important these words of Paul became, where he said, Paul said in Romans 1, 14 through 16, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So much as as me as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. See, those verses became more and more important to Jane. And those three phrases that Paul was using to express why he's preaching the gospel, those three phrases became her phrases in Romans 1.14. I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. In Romans 1.15, I am ready to preach the gospel. In Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed. And this became the strong desire, and she wanted to go to Thailand. And she, Thailand is what she focused on. The Far East was calling her, and she kept saying to herself, I am debtor, I am ready, I am not ashamed. And she was meaning I to go to Thailand. And so she learned everything she could about Thailand, and she longed to go to Thailand to preach the gospel. But as she was doing this, and she was preparing to go to Thailand, she was already in the grip of a wasting disease on her body. And her body was slowly being consumed by this disease that has drained her of all her strength, except for her love and devotion for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more she wanted to go to Thailand to preach the gospel, the more her body was being consumed away. And she struggled with questions. Why? The heavens seem like brass. Why? How am I to reconcile my strong desire to serve God as a missionary in Thailand with God's decision to not heal me from my disease? And she could see that her life on earth was just going to be, it's just draining away. She could see that soon she was going to die. And she struggled with questions. She struggled with questions as her present condition got worse and worse. And she struggled with questions and anxieties, and it was this verse in Psalm 17, 15 that quieted her heart. Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. And from this verse, when Jane was 18 years old, just barely turned 18 years old, she triumphed over her questions and her worries I mean, here was an 18-year-old girl desiring with all of her heart, go serve the Lord in Thailand. And the more she wants to go to Thailand, the more she sees her body being eaten up in disease and she knows she's going to die. She's deeply troubled. At the height of her disease, right alongside this verse in her Bible, in Psalm 17, 15, Jane 
right alongside this verse, as for me, I shall behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. She writes these words. All the puzzles, all the problems, all the doubts, all the despairs, all the wonderings, all the wishes of my heart finish right here. She said, I shall see him, and he will be the answer to the whole perplexity. And she wrote that in her Bible next to that verse. And then October 30th, 1965, just shortly after she reached her 18th birthday, she died. And immediately she was satisfied because she woke up in his likeness and she beheld his face in righteousness. See, what Jane had and what Esau did not have is hope. Hope that's expressed in a poem that goes like this. What a joy and what a satisfaction will be mine in that great day. When I awake with Christ's perfection, never more to decay. And the reason why I'm certain is that I know God's righteousness through his son, my Lord and captain, who absolved my sinfulness. So I know I shall behold him unashamed and satisfied, then no longer a poor pilgrim, but a Christian glorified. So when the believer, when it all goes wrong, that's the hope. Psalm seventeen fifteen. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. But what we see in Esau is what we see in every lost person when everything goes wrong, which is expressed in the last words of verse 38, Esau lifted up his voice and wept. There is a lifting up of voice and a weeping that is characteristic at funerals where there's no tangible hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's awful. There is a lifting up of the voice and weeping that's so terrible that is coming to the lost, like Esau, who live only for the present. And that's why we work so hard today to bring the gospel so that people don't die without the hope of Psalm 1715. Because Esau's tears here, they're not tears of, oh, I've been so wrong. They're not tears of, I've been so lustful. They're not tears of, I've been so hard-hearted toward God. They're tears of, I lost my inheritance. They're tears of, I have been wronged. And with his tears, he looked for Isaac to repent. He looked for Isaac to disown Jacob who tricked him and give the inheritance to Esau. And he sought it carefully with tears, that repentance from Isaac, as it says in Hebrews 12, 17. For you know that afterward, when he would have received the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. And he found no place of repentance in Isaac. And Isaac was not about to change his mind and give the inheritance to Esau. And those words, he found no place of repentance, those are terrifying words. They're tragic words. And they characterize the lost and how they'll try to get God to change in his mind. Change your mind. Come up with the idea of purgatory, maybe. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. 
You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor. That's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor, at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing this Thursday? Come to the Creation Earth History Museum in Santee, California at 6.30 p.m. for our Thursday night Bible study and fellowship. Our Bible study happens every Thursday night at 6.30 p.m. This Thursday, we'll study the truth of the Bible, science, and compare that to the life and work of Charles Darwin. We'll have expert guest speakers from the Southern California Seminary with Dr. John Baumgartner and Dr. Christopher Cohn and Dr. Kenneth Cumming, who will join our Creation and Earth History Museum staff as we study the truth of the Bible, science, and compare that to the life and work of Charles Darwin. Bring an atheist or unbeliever to the Bible study and fellowship and join us this Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, off Woodside Avenue North. Call us for more information. 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or go online to creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org. creationsd.org.